1: Welcome in to Daily Faceoff Live, your go-to source for
0: everything hockey. Live every weekday at noon Eastern. Tuesday, October 3rd. Welcome in to Daily Face-Off Live, brought to you by Batano. The game starts now at Batano.ca. I'm Tally Remchick, and he is our hockey insider, Frank Saravalli, rocking a fresh Daily Face-Off tee. Frank, you're looking good. Yeah, just not looking thin, that's the only problem. Ah, oh, come on, you and your you and your jokes, Frank. Uh, we got a lot to talk about today, and some of it ties into all well, something we talked about yesterday. So let's jump right into the hockey talk, Frank, and throw two minutes and thirty seconds up and start with our first topic the Ducks and Trevor Zegris agreeing to a new contract with less than 10 days to go before the start of the season. It's a three year deal for Zegris that comes in with an AAV of $5.75 million. The Ducks leading scorer last year will be in the lineup when the season starts. So Ducks fans, you can breathe a sigh of relief. Frank, what I want to know is what concessions
2: were made from either side to allow this deal to come together? I think the biggest concession. And by the way, when I was saying yesterday, Uh, that the Ducks and Zegris didn't appear to be close. It's always the danger of kind of reporting in real time. Uh, Sometimes things change with phone call, and that's clearly what happened. The big thing is the Ducks came up in AAV. This was always going to be a bridge deal because they couldn't come together on a longer-term thing, which I think makes more sense. And now, you know, I think they had originally started somewhere in the fours with Zegris, the high fours. And so to get up closer to almost 6 million bucks is a bit more palatable for Zegris. He puts, you know, 17, 18 million bucks in his pocket and that's okay for three years. That'll get you by. So um, in the meantime, that sort of, you know, made everything come together, but I still think my honest take is the ducks made a critical error here in trying to fight for the bridge deal and trying to keep that number low for a few years at a time when you have cap flexibility before signing this contract, the ducks had $16 million in cap space. If you're a believer in Trevor egress, which I am two consecutive 60 point seasons and he's 21 years old You want to get eight years. And even if it costs you a little more now, if you're paying in the nines or whatever that number might end up being, it's better than getting through these three years and having to potentially pay him 11 or whatever that number 12, whatever that number might end up being. The Ducks save themselves some cap space and dollars in the short term, but I think in the long term it's going to end up costing them and it also brings them closer to free agency.
0: Yeah, this will bring him up to or through his 25 year old season, I believe. And I mean, Frank, in three years, what's the cap going to be? Is it going to go up 10, 12, 13 million dollars from what it is right now? Like, we're talking about it should be
2: close to 100 million bucks.
0: We're going to be talking about a massive ticket for Trevor Zegers in three years. I agree with you. I think it's a critical error. And I don't think this is an approach that you can take with every young player, like Mason McTavish, when the time comes three years from now with Leo Carlson. Like, if you just keep bridging and bridging and bridging all your young talent, eventually you'll get to a point where you can't sign them all to their next deals.
2: Either that, or it's a bridge straight on out the door. I mean, we saw with previous RFAs that get close to UFA, Matthew Kachuk, you can kind of force and do whatever you want at that point. The power is to the player. And if the ducks haven't turned things around by them, Oh, and by the way, you just ground him on his last contract. The GM said to me a long time ago, Tyler, you never want to be dead right. And I kind of feel like that's what the Ducks are here.
0: Yeah, fair enough. Uh, just quickly, since we have a few seconds, an opportunity to maybe preview this Ducks team coming out of training camp. Is Leo Carlson going to make this team?
2: I think he's ready. I think he, when you look at his size, his skill, um, I, I you know he's a really impressive prospect. And I'm looking forward to chatting with our prospect analyst, Stephen Ellis, a little bit later in the show. Um, I I think he's right there. The problem is the team isn't anywhere close and you probably don't want to burn a year just to do it. But I I also don't know how much he's going to be served playing elsewhere.
0: Yeah, fair enough. Uh, let's continue along here, Frank, and talk about some comeback candidates for this season. We'll start with, you know, some individual players. We'll have something on some teams looking to bounce back a little bit later on in the show, but You have a feature coming out on Connor Brown at dailyfaceoff.com. You had a chance to catch up with him in Edmonton, an exciting start for him. Oilers fans have liked what they've seen so far in the preseason, but take us through maybe Connor Brown's mindset and what people could learn in the feature you did.
2: Yeah, it was great to spend a few minutes with him when I was in Edmonton last week and kind of a tough road for him had surgery last year on that knee on November 1st and the rest of the year, I'm sure it felt like for him, like he's not even really an NHL player. His team does, you know, he'll see them only occasionally when he's at the rink, not traveling, just trying to rehab. And he said to himself, if I'm going to be sitting here on my couch, immobile for the next little while, what's one way that I can get better? And so what he honed in on was his nutrition and his diet. And I'll have more information about that in the feature on dailyfaceoff.com. So it was interesting to me just to get a little insight of, I can improve on the ice. How can I find another way to improve it off the ice? And I think he's one of the real comeback of the year candidates. Um, it's him. There's also certainly some others. Max Pacioretty is going to be coming off of that uh, Achilles injury. Uh, he's not going to be back though until November or December. So it's going to be a while for a guy that um, really we last saw play uh, for a significant chunk of time back in 21, 22. Yeah. Got a few more candidates to throw at you for comeback player of the year. Jonathan Drouin, Jack Campbell, Jacob Vrana, Oliver Ekman Larson. Who are you most intrigued to see?
0: Uh, Just looking in the YouTube chat here, a couple people before we even got to this board, were throwing the name Jack Campbell in there. I think that's obviously interesting. But my pick is the guy at the top of the list, man. Jonathan Drouin, you think about everything he's gone through the last couple of seasons in Montreal, taking time away from the sport at moments to go to Colorado, to get to reunite with his boy, Nathan McKinnon. I mean, that one is the most boomer bust potential on all of this. Like, you know, Max Pacioretty will come back and be a good NHL player. Oliver Ekman Larson will get into the lineup and he should stay in the lineup all year. But with Druin, like, I could see a world where he scores 20 goals this year, Frank. I could see a world where he's on waivers November 1st. Am I wrong in that assessment? Like, it's boomer bust.
2: No, I, I think that's fair. I think he also seems re-energized. Uh, mm. Probably... I don't want to say needed to get away from the Montreal market, but it's not for everyone, I think, is the most fair way to say it. And I would say just listen to Jared Bednar. He's sort of been raving about Drouin throughout camp. That probably gives you a pretty good indication, and to only sign for what he did, um, why not take a chance if you're the ABS?
0: Yeah, 100%. The other name on that list quickly is Jacob Varana. When you look at goals per 60 at 5 on 5 over the last number of seasons, it's like Matthews, OV, Varana. Like if that guy can stay in the lineup, what a massive boost he would be for the St. Louis Blues.
2: Yeah, he would. Uh and I'm looking forward to Oliver Ekman Larson buyout. There's a bunch of buyouts uh that were interesting uh additions or guys that mm-hmm. were unceremoniously moved on from last year and Ekman Larson, certainly one of those guys. Vancouver going to be paying a pretty heavy cap price in a couple seasons, $4.7 million. He goes to Florida in desperate need of blue line help for only two and a quarter. Seems like that could work out pretty well at a time when the Panthers are going to be missing uh, Ekblad and Montour for the start.
0: Yeah. Speaking of bounce back candidates, another guy we maybe could have thrown on that list is Matt Duchesne. He signs in Dallas and that ties in to our season preview part one for the day. Let's take a look at the two teams that just missed out on punching their tickets to the Stanley Cup final last year. The Stars and Canes both lost in the conference finals. Dallas went out. They added Matt all summer. They really didn't do a whole heck of a lot else to their roster but this is a team, Frank. I mean, Jason Robertson is a superstar. Rupe Hintz is a great, great player. I think he's a legitimate 1A first line center. This roster is really good. And DeShane slotting into a second or third line role could work out perfectly for them. Are they a legitimate Stanley Cup contender?
2: I don't want to spoil my 32 bold predictions that's going to be going on dailyfaceoff.com next week. But the Dallas Stars are my pick to win the Stanley Cup this year. Wow. I don't think they needed to do a lot. I think they're battle-tested. I think in an odd way, Jake Ottinger could be even better than he was uh, last year, certainly in the playoffs. Uh, I think they've got a decor that's mobile and strong and really skates well. Uh, There are no obvious weaknesses to this Dallas team. I think the only peril, the only thing standing in their way is that They're playing on a side of the bracket that probably eventually includes a head-to-head clash with the Colorado avalanche. And then if you're lucky enough to get through that, you're probably facing the Oilers or golden Knights on the other side. So there's no easy path to the Stanley cup, but I like the way this team is constructed. And I really like the way that they've shown up. They may not have been the best regular season team the last few years, and I'm not taking anything away from them, but they're always better when they get to the playoffs. And so I think they're going to be in good shape.
0: The Dallas Stars didn't have to do a lot this summer. They didn't really do all too much outside of the DeShane move. The Carolina Hurricanes, you could argue, they also didn't have to do a lot, but they went out and they did quite a bit, Frank, namely Dmitry Orlov picking up the number one defenseman on the free agent market. Michael Bunting scooped up in free agency. They get some more bite to this forward group by scooping up Brendan Lemieux. Tony D'Angelo's back in the mix as well. This team clearly got better over the offseason season. Are they again, a powerhouse in the East? I, I think they're the best team in the Eastern conference. Like that goaltending looks incredibly solid that forward group while it's missing the, you know, bona fide superstar, I guess you could say, I think there's enough depth there to power them through. And that blue line might be the best in the NHL.
2: It is the best blue line in the NHL. Great. And I think it's by a wide margin too. Um, just to be able to add Tony D'Angelo and Oh, by the way, he's going to play PP one to start the year. Like, Crazy good. That's how good that back end is. Um, I think some would look at this Carolina Hurricanes team and say, even though they improved, did they actually solve their biggest problem? And people view their biggest problem is not having the superstar, the sort of you know human nail gun that's going to put this team over the top when it comes to the Stanley Cup playoffs. You know, we're talking these guys don't grow on trees, but we're talking like they don't have a Connor McDavid or an Austin Matthews or one of these guys. That's going to be really that when it's crunch time, who's going to score for you. I think it can be uh, Aho. Um, I think he still has room to grow in his game. Um, It's pretty clear that the injuries that they suffered last year, just heading into the playoffs kind of changed that team. They didn't have the same juice, but I like that they added bunting. Like he gives them some sandpaper. You know, I say this affectionately, some rat-like qualities when it comes to the playoffs. I don't think there's anything wrong with this team. I think there's only like seven or eight of those players in the entire league. And the fact is not many can have one, let alone two. So I don't know. What's wrong with the Canes? Why not them?
0: Yeah. And that's kind of where, where I give some stick taps to Don Waddell and what he's been able to do. It's very hard to get a superstar player unless you're going to tank and be bad for a little bit. And the Canes just have been good for so long. I applaud what he's been able to do on kind of the fr- not the fringes of the roster, but outside of that, where you just go and yeah, okay, you have Ajos, host fetch They're good. Just go surround them with a ton of talent and they should be able to get the job done for you. Like this team's been close to getting over the hump so many times. I, I would not be surprised. Dallas Carolina is at the bottom of my screen right now. That could very well be the Stanley cup final matchup. We get, we get this season in the NHL.
2: Yeah. I picked the Canes to go and win the cup last year. So these are two teams back to back years that I have in the mix.
0: And Jeremiah says getting Svechnikov back and healthy will be huge for Carolina. I absolutely agree with that volume shooter. Yeah. Uh, Let's keep moving along here and continue our season previews with two teams who, well, they didn't get anywhere close to the conference finals last year. They didn't make the playoffs last year, and that's the Pittsburgh Penguins and the Washington Capitals. We're lumping them together, Frank, because these are two cores that are kind of in similar spots. I'm not willing to say last dance vibes for any of them like we were for the Boston Bruins core last year, but the clock is certainly ticking here. Let's start with Pittsburgh. The big move. They got Eric Carlson. They got their guy. Kyle Dubis is now in charge. My concern with when I look at this list of what the Penguins got up to is Eric Carlson just a big splash for the sake of making a big splash? Like I'm, I'm worried he doesn't actually solve what their issues were last year. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices
2: Well, he doesn't really because I think the Penguins' biggest issue was that their bottom six essentially didn't piss a drop, which is kind of a tough spot to be in. Um, But more than that, I I like the Carlson move because Kyle Dubas was able to shift the pieces around on the chessboard and bring in a 100-point defenseman while also moving out guys that they didn't have any more time for and didn't have any room for specifically on the salary cap. So that was kind of the stroke of genius in this is that didn't really cost you a lot. And I was saying all along heading into the summer that the only way Eric Carlson is traded is if the sharks essentially relent and give him up for nothing, which is kind of really what they ended up doing. And they also took on a bunch of contracts in order to make it happen and still barely got a return. So, it makes sense from the penguins' perspective and I can see why, you know, the idea of adding a 100 point to your defenseman to your lineup is incredibly attractive like he he moves the puck so well and gets the team up and out and and on, you know, the offensive so it's in such a significantly efficient way that it, it really matters. Um I I'm, I'm curious about the impact on Chris Letang though. He's been the stalwart there forever. He's been the guy running the power play. Is he just going to you know, seed that to Eric Carlson. He seemed to be on board with it, but I kind of, it's like when players go to the team golf outing and are asked in the beginning of the season about their contract, like I kind of take that with a grain of salt. What's Chris Letang going to say? No, I hate this and I'm jealous. Like it's, it's, it's funny to kind of watch all of that play out. The proof will be in how he's utilized because when Eric Carlson played with Brent Burns, The reason why he wasn't a hundred point defenseman anymore was because there wasn't enough oxygen for him. So they're going to need to figure out how to solve that. And I think the penguins are a playoff team. I think they bounce back, but the real problem is I don't have them vaulted into my cup contender category.
0: Yeah, and I wouldn't either just because, like you said, a lot of the concerns from last year with the depth scoring and all that, they still exist this year. Quickly on the Washington Capitals, having Nicholas Backstrom back and healthy will be huge. You're suddenly looking at a center lineup that has Backstrom, Kuznetsov, and Dylan Strom. And I look at that and I go, okay, like that's actually pretty solid lines. One through three, you look at the blue line, full season of Rasmus Sandin, who they picked up. the Toronto Maple Leafs, hopefully John Carlson can stay in the lineup. Like, the biggest reason to believe in the Capitals is they should be healthier this year, right?
2: Well, that would be a start. Here's the thing. I know we're not playing a segment of buy or sell, but I'm selling on the Caps. And Mm -hmm. part of the reason for that is just listen to Brian McClellan talk at the end of last season, essentially throwing his hands up in the air saying, Nick Baxter may be healthy, but he's not anywhere close to the same player that he was previously. So... I don't think he's there. Um, I don't think he can keep up. I have real questions about that. Um, I thought the Tom Wilson contract was really interesting. It kind of – I don't want to say it came out of the clear blue sky, but it certainly seemed to be a lot more term and dollars than a lot of people might have expected. Um, And the caps are – unlike the pens who have kind of tried to solve their problems, the caps are mostly just rolling with the same squad. And in fact, resigned a lot of the same defensemen that they already had. I just, I don't know what, I don't know where they're going from here. They were pretty far back from the playoffs last year. You heard of Kuznetsov talk this off season rather pointedly about how Peter Laviolette didn't fit with what they were trying to do or didn't fit with the players that he had maybe that will change but the core hasn't changed and they're kind of long in the tooth i i don't know i don't i just don't see the caps being in the mix
0: yeah i i don't think they're going to be a playoff team either just because you'd have to improve by 13 points that is pretty significant but i do think they can be better than they were last year and be more in the conversation. It'll be interesting and we'll continue our season previews tomorrow on the show. But for now, let's talk about some young players who could be making an impact this year in the NHL and dig into the next wave with Stephen Ellis. The next wave is brought to you by Botano. The game starts now at botano.ca. Whether you're looking to get in on some hockey futures, maybe a little Major League Baseball postseason, Find it all at Botano19+. Please play responsibly. I know Stephen Ellis is fired up for a little Major League Baseball postseason this year. Isn't that right, Stephen?
3: I am. Blue Jays can't wait. Go Jays.
0: Uh, let's talk about someone who is also going to be making some noise this October, and that is Connor Bedard. Hell, he was making noise in the preseason in September, Stephen. We were watching clips on yesterday's show of him ripping his way through the neutral zone, generating beautiful scoring chances. Frank says 100 points is a possibility next year. I want you to give me a floor and ceiling for Connor Bedard this season.
3: I don't think a hundred's going to happen um, as much as I love what he's able to do. That's just, yeah. and I know how special of a player it is. You just look at the history of the last 15 years, hundred points as a rookie is essentially impossible with Bedard. I'm going, I think 90 points is what I'd go for is the high. I think he'll get 35 goals this year. He's just got an unbelievable shot. And you hear guys that he trains with NHL players that are say like, we don't see guys come through with shots like this pretty much ever. Uh, so I think, you know, I'd say, 70 to 90 is really kind of where I'm looking at here. You know, I like that the fact that he's going to be playing there with uh, Taylor Hall expected, uh, you know, Tyler Johnson, there's another option. Uh, I feel like Bedard makes everyone around him better. He's done it at every level. And I know people are concerned and saying, Oh, he's not this huge guy, but he throws hits. He can play physical. Now, Hitting a you know a third-pairing defenseman on the brand of Wheat Kings is a bit different than going up against like Radko Gudas. But uh, the one thing that he is able to do is he's just willing to put himself in these situations. He's willing to do everything. And guys like this don't come around often. So we've been talking about how special he is for a few years now, and I'm, I'm really excited to finally get to see uh, him play meaningful games again.
2: All right, well, at least you said 90, so my 100 doesn't make me batshit crazy then. so I It's like not. Where- it's not crazy. I like where your head's at. Um, so we know that Bedard is sort of the runaway favorite for the Calder this year. And as Connor McDavid's rookie year will remind us, it's also about health. But give us a under-the-radar guy who will be in the conversation that you think could make some noise.
3: This is a stacked Calder race. There's so many good options this year. But the one I'm keeping an eye on is goaltender, Joel Hofer. I guess whenever there's a year when there's so many talented forwards and and this year there's also a few defensemen it's always interesting how goalies get overlooked and i think with hofer you know hasn't played a whole lot and is going to start the season as the backup goalie to jordan binnington but i think you know I remember the conversations when Hofer was going on that little hot run he had last year. People were saying like, oh, could he actually be the starting goalie by like the midpoint next year? And I think so. I think he can challenge Biddington for starts. And, you know, his stats might not look incredible by any means, but he was a workhorse for a really bad Springfield team for two years and put in some really good numbers, kind of fell apart in the playoffs. Um, last year but the year before that was the only reason springfield's really winning games in a lot of cases so i think that this is someone who's at every level has always played a lot of games faced a lot of shots so he's ready for that and i think with st louis there's an opportunity here with Bennington just being so up and down that, that maybe we're seeing a different number one goalie by december
0: i also want to talk about you study the preseason you watch more hockey than anyone i know, Steven. Anyone in the preseason from a rookie perspective or maybe even just a young
3: roster player perspective that's really
0: been making some noise and has you excited for this season?
3: Well, I know a lot of people are talking about Akil Thomas, but the one I'm more interested hmm. in is is Matt Coronado out of Calgary uh, going out there. He's got four goals, uh, seven points, just playing some great hockey. And we saw him play like some of his best hockey at the end of his NCAA career. And then he went over and played to the world championship and was almost a point per game. And I know it's easy to overlook the world championship, but that's a guy that that was his first real time plan against pro quality players and was standing out. And yeah, wasn't the biggest, the, the best group of players, but I thought that he just showed that he had the speed, the skill, the playmaking. He was never intimidated under pressure. He looked really good. So, uh, you know, the Calgary flames have a good one there in Matt Coronado. I think he's someone where, I don't have him super high on my, my Calder rankings list, but I do think that he is going to just make some noise because Calgary is a team of opportunity this year. And I think that he'll, he's, you know, in the old regime, they didn't love giving the smaller guys a chance, but I think in this situation, you got to start fresh and look at him and say, yeah, he's going to be a big contributor for a long time. So I think he'll be one based off this preseason. I'm, I'm, I'm hooked. I'm ready.
0: You're a prospect analyst, and you're also a good fantasy analyst for us at Daily Faceoff. Is Matt Coronado fantasy relevant? Is he
3: worth a flyer late in, late in rounds? If you got a really deep league, yeah. Um, he Someone picked him in my 12-team league yesterday, and I thought that was a bit of a stretch. But I think that he's someone who, if he gets 40 points this year, that's good. That's, that's a pretty good sign. Because, it's again, getting more than that is still pretty difficult for most rookies. And uh, our guy, Jeremiah, in the YouTube chat was studying your background. He wants to know, Stephen Ellis, do you play the bass? I play bass. I play guitar. I play drums. I got all of it. I record my own music. Uh, If I only I could sing, I would uh, be a one-man band. But that is where everything falls apart.
0: You just signed yourself up to record our new intro song, then. Thank you very much, Stephen. (laughs) Uh, Thanks for doing this, Mr. Ellis. We'll chat with you next week. Yep. Thanks so much. Box questions for you mr sarah volley the first one comes from sergeant battle in the youtube chat who wants to know if dallas can expect more of the same from ben and sagan next year or if maybe they're due for a bit of a step back
2: yeah that's a great question sarge uh i would say that i'd expect them to remain kind of where they were i know we had the Renaissance last year and, and those guys really kind of came alive again. And I think part of the reason for that is they weren't asked to do all of the heavy lifting that they were when you've got Robertson and hints and those guys um, taking on the heavy matchups, it kind of opens things up for you a little bit. So I think that's a fine sort of baseline. Uh, Their cap hits are still onerous and that's kind of what's holding the stars back from even being better than they are, but they're getting closer and closer uh, to the end of those deals that if they can just hang on and remain competitive in the meantime, that'll be just a benefit.
0: And yesterday we also saw, or we're going to get the news that the Ottawa Senators are putting another former first round pick on waivers and Jacob Bernard Docker. Is he going to get claimed?
2: So I checked in with a few teams on Bernard Docker on uh, Monday night after the Sens announced that he'll be hitting waivers at 2 PM Eastern today. Um, I was expecting more interest And that's not to say, like, look, it only takes one. Um, But I was a little bit surprised to see that people were saying that they think he's a little bit more one-dimensional than they Mm -hmm. had hoped. And he has really, really struggled to put up any points at the pro level. And so uh, that's been a a difficult spot for him. But, look, first-round pedigree, um, you know, Certainly a a highly touted uh, player coming out of North Dakota that um, I wouldn't be surprised to see someone toward the bottom of the standings take a flyer. Why not?
0: Yeah, I just think whenever you have potential like that, similar to what the Ducks did with Lassie Thompson, it's it's probably worth taking a shot if you're a team right now. Uh, let's get into our daily bets for the day over at Botano.ca. I have a couple of futures bets I want to discuss. They are both over-unders for this season, Frank. I'm going to start with the St. Louis Blues. Now, I know goaltending could be a bit of a question mark for them this season. But hey, maybe Steven Ellis is on to something. Maybe Joel Hofer can be the guy for them. I like taking a stab at the St. Louis Blues to improve by just five points this coming season. I think a team like Nashville could take a step back in their division. A team like Winnipeg should take a step back in their division, and that could leave some more points on the board. I like St. Louis to have a bit of a bounce back next year and go over this 85 and a half mark. I also like the Washington Capitals, Frank, maybe to not get into the playoffs. I'm not going to go that far, but they finished with 80 points last year. Everyone being healthy, I think should give them a bit of a spark. Spencer Carberry could give them a bit of a spark. Asking them to just get seven more points than they did last year doesn't seem like an insane bet either. Which one of these two do you maybe like more than the other?
2: I like the blues over 85 and a half. The tough part is laying minus minus one thirty-three to do it. Um, But I do think the blues were kind of in a tough spot last year. They had traded a bunch of pieces away. I just think they've made smart bets this year. Like I, um, I don't know what Kasperi Kapanen is going to be. I don't know what Jacob Verana is going to be. Maybe they amount to be very little, Um, but I think that team kind of underachieved last year and I still think there's way more room for Cairo and Thomas to grow. So, uh, I like that and I would take, uh, I wouldn't, I would lay off the caps. I I think they could do that, but I could also see them being like, ah, we had 78 points this year.
0: L. Pete says, going under hard on the Blues. I won't read your reasoning, but it's the reason why I was just smirking. Very funny. Uh, The YouTube chat, as always, bumping. Make sure you hit the subscribe and the like button before you go today. Let's wrap up the show with a little bit of garbage time. A pretty cool moment yesterday in the NHL preseason. city Crosby got to play a game out in Halifax against the Ottawa Senators. We got a nice video here of Crosby taking to the ice and the crowd eventually standing up and giving him a nice ovation. Uh, But a pretty cool moment. I'm sure for Sid, uh, getting towards the end of his career, not sure how many more times he'll get a chance to do things like play a preseason game in his home province. But uh, pretty neat, Frank, to see for Sid here.
2: Long overdue. The fact that this yeah. is the first time in 17 years kind of feels like a miss. Obviously, they're Maritime Nice, and he gets the uh, the standing O. Love to see it. I just wish it would happen more often.
0: Yeah, I would love to see the NHL get, and I know it happens a little bit, but a little more exotic with the preseason games. I feel like we could push it a little bit more than, you know, most of these teams just play their preseason games in their home barn.
2: Maybe not Australia, but like maybe more like Mexico City or whatever. I mean, there's a million...
0: Yeah, so many different places you can mix it up a little bit. Uh, That's all the time we got on today's edition of the show. Once again, shout out to Botano and our pal Stephen Ellis for stopping by. we got John Goyans coming on a little bit later on this week and plenty more season previews. So hit that subscribe button. And remember, you can always find the show as a podcast wherever you get your podcast from. Frank, we'll chat with you again tomorrow.
1: Thanks for tuning in to Daily Face Off Live. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to never miss an episode.
0: That's up to you to decide. Now let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff for the daily winner's